the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host, Art Brooks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rescuers radio show at faithtalk1360.com. And my guest today, very fortunate to have Nikki Kantz. Hello. Hi, Nikki. So, uh, Nikki is the clinical director of Teen Lifeline which is a suicide lifeline, correct? Correct, correct. And um, I like starting the shows without going right into the subject matter. Right. I'd like to let our, our worldwide audience know a little bit more about you and, and how did you get here? Okay. Um, you know, my my story is probably unique uh, for, for my position. Um, I actually started with Teen Lifeline 26 years ago uh, when I was 16, Wow. And in high school. Um, and I lost one of my closest friends to suicide. Oh. And um, I I went to a, a local Catholic school. And um, part of school is we had to do community service. But I had this amazing teacher who recognized something inside of me that I was like the natural helper of my friend group. And the one that really kind of... Um, took a lot of the guilt on about what had about what had happened and not being able to know what was going on and to support him when he needed it. And so she connected me with Teen Lifeline um, as a way for me to gain some skills, but also be able to make an impact. Um, and I found my passion the very first weekend I walked into training um, and um you know, went through the training, felt as a teenager, it was the one place that I could make an impact in the world. Um, it's amazing um, knowing that you just listening to someone um, can change their life and save their life. Um, and then I, I just wanted to stay in the helping profession. So I got my undergraduate degree, uh, came uh, up in Flagstaff, and then came back down to um, the Phoenix area. I got my graduate degree, and while I worked a couple other jobs, just kept coming back to Teen Lifeline and never really left fully um, in in volunteer capacity. And um, I just really found my passion is crisis, but specifically working with teenagers. So I an amazing group. I didn't understand that the the Teen Lifeline uh, went back that far. Yes, uh, we are actually thirty four years old nice. this year, um, and we. Interestingly enough, got started because of a made-for-TV movie that happened in 1985 really? that starred Molly Ringwald, which was 
the person in 1985. Yeah. And it was um, a movie about teen suicide on network television. Um, and it had never really been discussed before. And so um, it kind of made the cover of Time magazine and Newsweek. And some a local agency um, back then kind of took a look at wh- where is Arizona? We've never really talked about this issue of teen suicide. And at that, sec- that time, Arizona ranked second in the nation for the highest rate of teen suicide. And we were um, over 80% the national average. Um, and so realized that something had to be done um, and went back to the drawing board of where do kids go for help. And even back then, kids went to their peers and kids go to their friends. So the idea of Teen Lifeline was born with that unique um, twist of that we train teens to take the calls from other teens that are struggling across the state and across the nation. Um, They're always supervised by master's level clinicians, but they are the ones that are saving lives. And I think as a social worker, the thing that kind of, I went into social work to change the world (laughs) Of course. But I quickly realized um, that it was much more powerful to be able to give these tools to teenagers um, who are our future so that they can change the world. They're the ones um, that can do it. And I'm just here to support them and um, give them um, anything that they need to, to be able to make this world a better place. Is there a faith component to the, the the teen lifeline um actually there there is not we are okay. not faith based right. um and really what it is is because we have um, callers from every background yes. that are peer counselors many of them um, come from very rich faith backgrounds um, but we really help them to understand to be there with where the callers at their own culture their own um, spiritual beliefs, there, wherever it is, so that um, wherever the caller is at, or whatever their belief structure is, is what we then help them support and actually find those supports in their own community with them that can that can help provide that. Sure, it makes sense. And as I went to Catholic school, we we definitely are definitely <laughs> we you know I, we're still very involved with um, many of the Catholic schools and the diocese around here. So so um, we do a lot of training within the faith based uh, within the ba- faith community um, of all different sects. Do a lot of um, training at churches uh, for the elders and the adults of the churches of knowing how to support their kids during tough times and what to do. If they are they are worried about a kid, because oftentimes our faith communities are some of the are some of the people that may observe those changes. Now, you are also president of the Arizona Mm -hmm. Suicide Prevention uh, Council, I think it's called Um, the uh, coalition coalition. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so we're a statewide um, nonprofit agency that's focus is bringing um, members of both um, of, of all different sects across the state. So we're in all the different stakeholders. So the communities, community members, those that may have been affected by suicide, um, those that may just have a passion for it, as well as agencies, professionals, treatment, um, all the different areas, and really bringing that focus um, to the issue of suicide across the lifespan. Um, And really being that central voice where we can continue 
to push for policy changes, for education and training um, and support across the state. Um, We are also one of, um, we run the, um, we hold a, an uh, annual conference, um, the uh, a suicide prevention conference that is a statewide conference that we bring in national speakers to come in and, and bring that so that our both clinicians and treatment um, individuals can sit alongside community members and learn that same information. Um, but it's really about um, building communities up, um, not about just formalized treatment, but bringing a centralized voice um, to suicide prevention across the state um, and education and training. Well, it's such a sensitive and complicated yeah, issue and, is. and complicated to address, complicated to talk about. But it seems like you especially have, have this, have your arms around this and know how to address it yeah. and how to talk about it openly. Yeah. Uh, but, but at times it's very difficult. It is. Yeah. It is. You know, I think we still deal um, a lot with stigma. Um, for, for instance, I just want you to know, yeah. I, I grew up in a family where my mom was addicted to prescription drugs her whole life. Uh-huh. And she was, uh, I don't even know how many times right. she tried to do that. So, so the, the secrecy behind yeah, that yeah. And, and the effect it has on a family. Um, and, you know, I think um, for for many generations, it was such a secret. It was something that we tried to keep our kids from ever knowing that yeah. there were mental health challenges going on in a family, much less that um, people might be struggling with suicidal thoughts. Um, and I think that is probably one of the things that I am most proud about the current generations coming up is their ability to talk about some of those really tough things. But there is a lot of stigma. Um, there is a lot of stigma about getting help for our brains. We don't want to think of mental health as being something that is, it's, it's our brain. It's, it's an organ. It is no different than someone being diabetic and needing insulin. There are times that our brains aren't doing what they need to do chemically. And it has an effect on how we feel, how we think, how we behave, which is no different than other illnesses. And so really depleting that stigma and getting that to the place of understanding that mental health and physical health, that there is parity and we need to make sure that we're treating both um, and that we are paying attention to both, but getting people comfortable to talk about that. And, you know, you brought up a good point. Like it's it's a scary thing and it's often, often a sad conversation and people when they find out what I do, most often say, oh, that's that's such a sad thing. Like, how do you do that day in and day out? And I have to remind people that my day in and day out is saving lives and giving people the tools to do that. Um, And it right now, so much of our focus since COVID has started is actually about educating um, adults on how do you support our children um, in a way that gives them the, the tools, the, the support that they need so that maybe we can prevent suicide from even being a thought, but also how do you intervene and how do you do that comfortably? I know I'm not afraid to say the word suicide, yeah, but I know many people still are. So, and for the adults, especially during COVID, I'd like yeah. to get in, dive deeply into this oh, yeah. uh, COVID thing. So, but but first, uh, the adults, if they're, if they're depressed and they're in a, a bad state and a bad place in life, it's hard for them to educate 
their kids, right? right? Well, there's that, again, that mental health stigma. Or what if they didn't get the treatment they needed? Right. What if they got ineffective treatment where they now don't trust the system or or providers to give them help? So how are they going to help? How are they going to trust that for their children? It's going back again with that. And and honestly, right now, we don't have enough providers. So the waiting list is daunting for services. And that oftentimes pushes people away. Mm. So um, nationally, or let's just to speak here okay. in Arizona, um, for adults wanting to deal with this issue, mm-hmm. it's a teen lifeline. Right. Cross the line for older adults, or do they have to go to that 800 number, the National Suicide Prevention Number? Well, so the National uh, Lifeline, the Prevention Lifeline, um, that I mean, that's available to absolutely anyone. And and the one thing about that on the national front is that that number, when someone calls it, um, they get routed to the crisis center closest to them based on their area code that they're Good. calling from. Good. Okay. So it is a very important res- resource. Now, locally, we have um, a lot of crisis centers, and the National Lifeline does not have a separate portion uh, for uh, teens. They do for veterans. So Mm. people, veterans can call that number, that same number. And then when they're prompted, push one and they will get routed um, to the veterans crisis line. That's very specific to them. Um, uh, But there is not a youth component as of right now. Um, So again, we take calls locally, but we honestly, we take calls nationwide um, with social media People are definitely aware of us. <laughs> yeah. But but in all honesty, there are six peer counseling crisis lines across the nation. We well, are one of six, and we're the only one in Arizona. And it, is there an organization like yours in other states? Um, not ours. There are similar ones. Um, there's um, a similar one in California, uh, Portland, Seattle, um, Alabama, and Missouri. Missouri. But you say nothing like Arizona, so we're the creme de la creme. On well, this, on of course subject. I think so. <laughs> but um, th- so the other thing is, is that crisis centers go through an accreditation nationwide to be a part of okay. that prevention lifeline. We were the first peer counseling hotline that that received that accreditation in 2003. Nice. And, and we um, renew it every time we're up uh, for renewal. But our standards aren't any different. So just because we have teens taking those calls on the hotline and they're supervised by master's level clinicians, we're actually held to the same standards as those crisis lines that are being answered by master's level clinicians. Right. So um, our, the services that we provide, the strength of the services that we provide, um, the quality of them is no different. The difference is, is we are geared towards working with teens. Mm, okay. Now for adults, if they didn't know where to go and the teen lifeline was the very first number that they came across for themselves, we will actually do what's called a warm transfer. Well, we will introduce them to the crisis line, actually our local crisis line, and to help exchange that and say, no, here are the people you want to talk to, and this is how you reach them, and we'll introduce them. Um, but for parents that might be worried about their kids mm-hmm. or anyone who might be worried about a kid in their life, yeah. and I say kid because, honestly, our calls and texts, it's not uncommon for us to get 10 and 11-year-olds now. Wow. When I first started, it was un- it was just unheard of. Now it's pretty normal. Well, in a, in another program, I was talking to one of the leaders here in Arizona mm-hmm. on uh, on drug 
issues yeah. and wanting to get the prevention message to the earliest age possible within the school system. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and prevention, um, even for us, isn't isn't that different. It, it, we don't use the word suicide, but but in terms of mental health prevention, um, you know, but for adults who need support and help, feel free to call the hotline. We will help you with your kid or the kid that you're worried about. We, we are also there for adults. Um, but, um, you know, in terms of our our prevention services and just prevention in general, the, the youngest, the younger that we can get them to understand healthy coping skills, self care, good problem solving and just resiliency and knowing at an early age, there are safe adults in my life that I can turn to not just my parents, but other adults, the more as adults that we can help them build those connections, including within our faith communities, the stronger the resilience of our children to get through the hard times because we can't put a bubble around our kids. Mm. That's, I think, the one thing that is hard to understand that even as parents, we can't create a perfect world for them where they don't get hurt. But what we can do is give them the tools to be able to get through those hardships that all of us are going to have. We're all going to have loss. We're all going to have pain. And so it's what we do with ourselves and what we're able to do in those moments and how we reach out for help that makes the difference. So in the age of COVID, yes, uh, we're seeing the spikes mm-hmm. uh, of cases in younger demographics we're seeing the spikes as drug abuse, mm-hmm. uh, including alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing the spikes in depression, mm-hmm. domestic violence, mm-hmm. and suicide. And, and, and they kind of all are intertwined. They are. Yeah. They are. And honestly, I, I will tell you that we... There has been a lot of discussion about the numbers uh, related to suicide deaths during COVID. Um and we actually don't have the ability to say there's been an increase. What we can say is there's definitely an increase of depression and anxiety. Um, and even on the national level, there is, it's hard because during pandemics, suicide tends to go down. But during economic strife, suicide goes up. And we are right now in the middle of both. Yes. Right. And so it honestly is like we're looking at what is what is the next six months? What's the next year going to look like? And how do we create support? And knowing that how us adults handle the pandemic, our kids are watching. Mm-hmm. So they reflect that. You have job loss. You have your company has closed down. Right. You have a lot of a lot of different uh, problems going on at the same time. Exactly. And and there is little autonomy in our households right now right. because everyone is also Everybody's so together. Yeah. And that's good and bad. Like It definitely is good and bad, but it's also frustrating for adults. And so it's also one of those things that where do we get our frustrations Why they out? want the schools open. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and there's oh, definitely some, um, some social socialization and, yeah. and emotional health that goes beyond that, behind that too. Um, but it's like balancing the these, uh, our physical safety um, and our physical health um, with these emotional challenges as well. Um, and so with COVID, yes, we are seeing these. Also, there's access for kids. They're at home and though their family's home with them, families are drinking more at home than they ever did before. Yeah. You know, um, that that extra stress that is creating environments where domestic violence maybe didn't exist before, but now does because they don't have the tools as a family yeah. to handle it. Exactly. Um, but also the fact that 
most of our um, domestic violence and child abuse cases are reported and then able to intervention to be able to be gotten to them. They happen within the schools and with the schools closed, reporting has drastically gone down. But we know that those incidences are still happening. Are still there. Yeah. Are still there. So um, with you, mm-hmm. uh, a very engaging person, a <laughs> uh, very strong pre- people person, which yeah. is what I like. I'm an eye to eye conversationalist. And and um, I, I, I'd like to know how big the staff is. Yeah. And who and is the call center internal? But what, explain this, the. The organizational chart, if you, if right. you would. Yeah. Right. So we um, we are quite mighty with a small staff. So we have 13 full-time staff, um, but we serve over last year close to 500,000 people across the state. So about 28,000 of those were through the crisis line and the texting line that we have. Um, then um, the about 74 were through our training program of new volunteers. And then over 400,000 of them were through our prevention, education, and outreach. So that's the training we do in the schools. We do training with um, school staff. We do education with parents, and we do education within the classrooms. Again, going back to why we were created, that idea that we know that kids tend to turn to their peers first. Mm -hmm. We also have to recognize that within the schools, they are also gatekeepers of help to each other. They are the first to recognize when their um, even acquaintance is acting differently Mm -hmm. or something's going on. They're the first to know that their friends are struggling. So we have to give them the tools to then connect um, each other back to their schools, back to adults, back to parents. So we can't, we can't just train parents. We can't just train educators and school staff, but we have to train the kids too. So that it's, it's about making a suicide safer community and a community that feels connected. And the only way to do that is to create an environment where Everyone um, is able to talk about that scary subject, but also being able to open up when things are tough before it gets to that place of giving up. Absolutely. So um, somebody in our audience right now is saying, I want to help them. Yeah. Uh, How are you supported financially? You're a nonprofit, right? We are a nonprofit. Um, And so um, we are primarily through um, individuals. Um, who are willing um, and able to give us that amazing support that they do, um, but also through grants um, and through corporations. So as a nonprofit, and because we are not truly state-funded in through any of those um, kind of state behavioral health dollars, um, we start January fresh at zero and have to build it up throughout the year. So it is a lot of grant writing. We have a lot of partnerships with cities across um, the valley, um, as well as some great corporations and individuals. We did have to cancel our event this year. Um, Duh. Yeah. <laughs> but we are lucky enough that like we- Like 100,000 others. <laughs> exactly. And so we're getting, we, you know, we have some amazing partnerships in the community. And I will tell you, um, we couldn't have gotten through this without them. Um, but we are staying healthy. Um, we are doing a golf tournament in November. So that is the one event that we will continue to nice. do. Um, it's an outside event. And, you know, we work with the golf course to make sure it's safe and, and fun We'll so have for some everyone. distancing out on the golf yes, course. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and our governor has has stated it's an essential service. Oh, nice. so. Well, it is. 
And, I, and, you know, I think, um, you know, I think that's the amazing thing also about us is that um, our governor also stated that volunteerism was so important during the time of COVID. And because of that, it we are an essential service. So us as staff continued that um, our volunteers also are essential workers. So at 15 years old, they got these like little badges yeah. that in case they got pulled over during the curfew. They could give to an officer that said, I'm an essential worker. I'm allowed to be out because they're saving lives. They were first responders. Absolutely. So we're, we're near the end of the program. Mm-hmm. We're in our last couple minutes. Um, contact information for the Lifeline is uh, what's the website? Teenlifeline.org. Okay. Um, lots of information you know. for parents, for kids, how to help um, your friends, how to help yourself, but also how to get involved with us. If any teens want to volunteer with us, there's that information, but how adults can also get involved with some of our other work that we do out in the community. Um, and then our hotline number is 602-248-8336. We're 24-7, but our peer counselors are there from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m., seven days a week, 365 days, nice. even on Christmas. Wow. And um, our texting is available from 3 to 9 every day as well. Um, But during this pandemic and while students are still out of school, um, our hours have increased from noon to 9, Monday through Friday. I only have a minute left. Yes, go for it. So after COVID, what's your story going to be? We're going to keep doing what we're doing. But we'll be back in the classrooms. So face-to-face, we'll be doing lots of work out in the community. Um, But our work hasn't stopped, nor will it. And so um, it will be about making sure that kids know that they are not alone and um, that there is always help, there is always hope, um, and that uh, they got through COVID just like us. They are stronger than than we ever knew we all were capable of being. (laughs) (laughs) Nikki, this has been a joy. Thank you so much, Thank and you. God bless you for all you do in changing and saving lives. Oh, you too. Your Tritin Lifeline. Thank you. And thanks for being on Rescuers Radio Show. Rescuers, Thursdays at 5.30 Arizona time on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ AM.